Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into the richness of our faith. And if you are a faithful listener, you know that we devote Wednesday evening to a special topic. And you also know that we just wrapped up a study on the Lord's Prayer, the Gospel Prayer, huh? And so it is time to start a new topic. And so I asked you out there, what is that one topic that you want to uh, talk about, that you want to reflect into, and certainly with a heart towards uh, what this year is devoted to, mercy, uh, you have requested mercy. Now, this is a topic that we have talked about already, but certainly it is fitting that we really dive deep into this great topic of mercy, mercy which is the chief attribute of God. Now, you've requested this because, yeah, it is the extraordinary Jubilee year of mercy. Now, I'm not going to get back into all of that. What I want to do is direct you to my website, joeholcraft.org, hit the link to shows, and go into my archives titled Pope Francis, and go to the dates December 8th, 2015, and December 15th, 2015, because in those two programs, we really focused in on what the Extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy um, is all about. Uh, Now, we did get into some other aspects of mercy during those two programs that we will uh, rekindle this evening and in future weeks, but really, to take up mercy as a special topic is to spend extra time with it. So, this evening, we will define what mercy is all about, especially as it comes to us in Sacred Scripture. Uh, this special topic of study will be devoted to exploring the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And this will be no light brush stroke, if you will. We are going to get underneath all of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And what are those? Well, the corporal works of mercy, uh, there are seven. First, feed the hungry. Second, give drink to the thirsty. Third, clothe the naked. Uh, Number four, shelter the homeless. Number five, visit the sick. Number six, visit the imprisoned. And lastly, bury the dead. And how about the spiritual works of mercy? First, admonish the sinner. Second, instruct the ignorant. Third, counsel the doubtful. Uh, Number four, comfort the sorrowful. Number five, bear wrongs patiently. Number six, forgive all injuries. And lastly, pray for the living and the dead. Okay, so this special topic study will really be devoted to exploring all 14 of those works of mercy, okay? So both corporal and spiritual. This evening, we're going to kickstart our study by really getting underneath what we mean by mercy, again, especially as it comes to us in sacred scripture. Now, what I would like to do is to share a story. While living in D.C. in the summer of 2001, I was blessed to have the opportunity to work with the missionaries of charity at the, the Gift of Peace. And of course, this is the community that Mother Teresa, Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, founded. It was a blessing for many reasons. It allowed me to not only serve the poorest of the poor, but to do so with women who were in the discernment phase of their vocations, okay? Um, Now, all of Mother Teresa's houses 
are dedicated to serving the poorest of the poor. And this house in Washington, D.C. was no different. The poorest of the poor for Mother Teresa includes just not the material poor, but also the greatest poverty in the opinion of the saint of India, which included not being loved. So for this reason, the gift of peace cared for a number of men and women suffering with AIDS. The missionaries of charity knew very well that many of their residents had only months, weeks, or in some cases, days to live. My dear friends, the missionaries of charity were about dedicating themselves to giving these patients their dignity back huh, with the love of Christ. Uh, what did Mother Teresa once say? Uh, the unloved thirst for love. So they were dedicated to loving, bottom line. And so over the course of that summer in 2001, I was asked to perform many tasks ranging from praying with the residents to cleaning bathrooms, but it was time spent with a man by the name of Dennis that left a lasting impact on me. Uh, Dennis was a young man who was battling AIDS in its very last stages, and while I knew my time with Dennis was going to be limited, this did not stop me from getting to know his story, getting to know his background, his likes and dislikes. And in just a few short weeks, I was really grateful to call Dennis my friend. And one Monday morning, upon returning to the gift of peace with the expectation of spending more time with Dennis, I received the news that I was not going to be able to tell Dennis about my weekend because he had passed away the day before. I still recall going into the vacant room where we had spent our days getting to know each other, and taking an hour or so to pray for Dennis. Now, while praying and looking at a crucifix in that room, the Holy Spirit put in my heart something that I had never really understood before. Recalling Mother Teresa's words that God's mercy comes to us in the poor, because it is there where we meet God face to face, I saw that God was ministering to me through Dennis. God in that moment gave me the eyes to see that I share in the goodness of his mercy to the extent that I am poor in him and in solidarity with those who are on the margins of society. As I visited the Adoration Chapel after my time of reflection that day, I just remember you know, thanking God for the gift of Dennis, and at the same time for the unexpected blessing of mercy that came through Dennis and in my encounter with Dennis. One thing is for sure, and I really want to be clear on this, our encounters that lead us deeper into our faith are encounters with God's mercy, a love that rescues. Now, that being said, let us turn our gaze towards sacred scripture, and we do so by considering some words from John Paul II, words that he penned in his encyclical, Rich in Mercy. He said this, the Bible tradition and the whole faith life of the people of God provide unique proof that mercy is the greatest of the attributes and perfections of God. Mm, amen. Now, how does John Paul II arrive at that conclusion? Well, he first reflects into the Old Testament, and so should we. The Old Testament understanding of mercy provides for us the foundation necessary to, to grab hold of what mercy is all about. And it really starts with an examination of the two principal Hebrew words in the Old Testament that translate as God's mercy. First, there is the Hebrew word hased, hased, which means steadfast love, a blood bond of love. In effect, 
We could say covenant love, love defined by the exchange, not of things, not of things, but of persons. He and me, I and him. As one theologian noted, no, someone who has the attribute of a hased is someone you can always count on, someone who never lets you down. This love is what we would define as a dependable love, a holy love. Brothers and sisters, a love that rescues. Hased contains the meaning of faithfulness to one's own promises and, and commitment to others. Huh? Now, the second term for God's mercy in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word rahamim, rahamim. This word is defined as tenderness, uh, compassionate love, which can be best understood as a love that springs from the innermost place of God's being. It's interesting. The root word of rahamim is a word that means the abdominal region or the womb. Hence, rahamim conveys intimacy, tenderness, and we could say God's gentle touch. The person who has rahamim is someone who feels for your plight and is moved by compassion to help you. You know, rahamim is often used in conjunction with said because together, my friends, they really do orchestrate the symphony of that chief attribute of God's love, mercy. Mercy is the movement of a heart that is shaken at the sight of another's pain, the active love of God that wants to fill every void and darkness in the human heart with life and joy. One St. Thomas Aquinas defines mercy this way, the compassion in our hearts for another person's misery, a compassion which drives us to do what we can to help him. Mm, amen. Now here's the thing, my friends. We cannot show mercy if we are not first drinking from the font of mercy. This is the sacramental life. We receive to then live and proclaim what we have received. Baptism is the chief sacrament of the Catholic Church because it is the sacrament through which we are incorporated huh, into the body of Christ and become members of God's family. The Church calls baptism our first and fundamental conversion to Christ, because in it we are sanctified in Christ, made holy and set apart for a holy purpose. In this sense, we are called to live in the world, but not be of the world, right? As Paul tells it, we have in baptism put on the cloth of Christ, becoming a new man. In baptism, we receive the very life-giving force that is the essence of the Trinity, that mutual self-giving that lights up the world. This is God's mercy. So dressed in this pure garment of Christ in baptism, we are now vested with the moral virtues. What are those virtues? Faith, hope, and love. What does this mean? Well, just as we wake up each and every day and put on our clothes, my dear friends, we similarly should be mindful of putting on Christ with prayer, right? Consider how many of us are preoccupied with what we wear each day. We go out of our way sometimes, traveling great distances at times to find the brand that fits our ideas of what accentuates our appearances. The question I pose to you is this. Do we make the same sacrifices in our faith journey to be sure that we have the proper attire, if you will, in the spiritual sense to appear more like Christ? Just as we have a, a tendency to buy a particular brand for reasons of status in the world, so much more, my dear friends, should we let the world know 
about the brand of Christ, the brand that shows itself in concern for who the poorest of the poor. One of the things often overlooked in the Christian journey is the need for God's mercy. And who needs mercy? We all do, huh? We all do. We have an incredible capacity to reduce the objective reality of sin in our lives. Do we not? I think we do it all all the time, every day. (laughs) What does St. John the Evangelist remind us of? We must confront the reality of sin. What does he say in 1 John, in his opening chapter, verse 8? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And boldly, John says, the truth is not in us. Wow. I know alcoholics who have blamed their father's addiction for their own problems with alcohol. It is only when an alcoholic admits that he is an alcoholic that he takes the first step towards what? Rehabilitation, right? When we stop pointing the finger at others and take responsibility for our transgressions, we begin to change for the better, do we not? What does G.K. Chesterton say? I think we noted this just the other night. When asked what was wrong with the world, he said, I am. I am. Let us echo the words of the doctor of common sense, G.K. Chesterton. So if we're going to understand mercy, we have to first understand what sin is, right? What is sin? Sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience, a failure to love God. That's from the Catechism, paragraph 1849. Let's simplify this. Sin is disobedience, right? The breaking of our Father's heart. Many of us live in fear of what those closest to us might think if we let them know of our weaknesses. Ironically, could we not say it is our weakness that attracts God's mercy? Because it is then that His power abides in us more fully, and especially in our weakness. What does 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10 tell us? Well, that very thing. We are made to appreciate God's arithmetic, where loss equals profit, subtraction equals addition, and weakness equals power. Because by letting go of our attachments, we allow God to invade our souls through and through. When God brings us to our knees, we choose to be beggars for God's mercy. And here, we ought to consider the sacrament of reconciliation, huh? Where he wields his pruning knife and restores us to new life in him. In the sacrament of confession, you've heard me say it, we go to God with our worst and God comes to us with his best. And the result is that God reminds us that we are better than our worst. Are we not? It's interesting, for those of you who are Catholic out there, after we pray the words of the penitential rite at Mass, we hear those very important words from the priest. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. What's striking about this is in this rite, this penitential rite, we are making a public statement to our community that we are sinners, and as such, are in need of God's mercy. Huh? Our participation in Mass begins and ends with the interior dimension, the need for us to see that we are in need of God's mercy. So if we want to enter more fully into God's merciful embrace, we must pray the penitential right with the penitential heart. <laughs> How about the prodigal son? Mercy is at the heart of the parable of the prodigal son. What is the reading for this Sunday? But the parable of the prodigal son, right? So this is very timely, very timely. Now, as it relates to the parable, 
a few key points. During our Lord's time, it would have been scandalous for the son to squander inheritance, let alone to request it while his father was still alive. For the father to take the first step towards his returning son would have been highly inappropriate, huh? And yet this is exactly what the father does. He runs to him, he embraces him, and he kisses him. In this story, the father is a prototype of God the Father, is he not? One that desires mercy and reconciliation. And in this parable, we are shown how mercy reaches beyond the boundary lines of societal norms. The Father in this parable stands as the figure who forgives, representing the sentiment of all fathers, I love. Now consider the eldest son, who gives us a portrait of envy and entitlement. I will speak to this tomorrow. He puts expectation at the heart of what he does, which ultimately leads to disappointment and resentment. His self-centeredness, as this parable reveals, results in the inability to see his brother as a brother. And ultimately, he is a man without gratitude and a man without the disposition to forgive. So the elder son stands as the figure who expects representing that all-too-popular sentiment of, I deserve. He is one who is not giving mercy, huh? How about the prodigal son? The prodigal son shows us the full scope of sin, repentance, conversion. Certainly, we can all identify with this cycle, huh? At different points in our lives, we too have given in to the desires of the flesh, and wanted more than we should have. And ultimately, this has left us with a skewed understanding of whom we are and where we are going. Hopefully, we realize our sin and we are resolved to change. The younger son, of course, in this narrative, stands as the figure who repents, representing the sentiment of a contrite heart, saying what? I sin. Let us never be My dear friends, the sinner who says, I deserve, expecting forgiveness. What folly for the younger son if he adopts the elder brother's behavior, huh? As every baptized human has their prodigal story to share, every baptized human has their opportunity for full restoration of family membership. We must fight through the tension of thinking something is owed to us and appreciate all that has been given to us. We hope and pray that we too hear those words from the Father, you were dead and now alive, lost, and now you are found. Like the younger son, we would no longer be wasting away in misery and despair, but renewed in joy, hope, and the superabundance of God's mercy. Out from the depths of despair, can we not say that the prodigal son was renewed? And do we not all want to be drinking from God's font of mercy, that font of renewal. Amen to that. Now, how about the fifth beatitude? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Here it's interesting. St. Augustine reminds us that there is a sequential logic to the beatitudes. I think you've heard me talk about this before. If we are to understand each beatitude in its fullest sense, we must consider what? It's preceding beatitude. In this case, the beatitude on justice. This beatitude reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, 
for they shall be satisfied. Consequently, we consider mercy in the light of justice. What is that beatitude on justice all about? Well, to hunger and thirst for justice is to be dissatisfied with anything less than being in right relationship with God. Justice, given each his due, is fulfilled when we embark upon the journey of doing whatever is necessary to put right the relationship between creator and creature, between father and son. If we are to love our neighbors as we would want to be loved, then we ought to see, as Aquinas puts it, how mercy is a certain kind of fulfillment of justice. In many ways, is this not what lies behind the golden rule? I love the line that comes to us from one Donald DeMarco. He says this, Justice is rational and measured. Mercy is immeasurable. Justice can be commanded. Mercy must be freely given. There are holes for justice. There are hearts for mercy. Justice is the embodiment of the law. Mercy transcends the law. So in this context, what shines forth is the gift-like quality that is mercy, never undermining its counterpart in justice, but always transcending it. I wonder how many of those living to the time of Christ looked upon the whore of the crucifixion of the great Jewish rabbi Jesus and thought how nothing but calamity must come from such dreadfulness. And yet, the church identifies that first sin that leads to Christ's crucifixion as what? Oh, happy fault. Brothers and sisters, God's love, His mercy, led Him to the cross. So we too, in imitation of Him, must die to self that we may not only receive God's mercy, but also proclaim it in word and deed. And we do so by sharing in Christ's love as displayed on the cross. What does he teach us? He teaches us to forgive without condition. Forgiveness is a divine act. What does Mark 2, 7 tell us? Forgiveness is a divine act. The fruit of our participation in the redemptive love of Christ. We are called to pardon our brother or sister in Christ and our enemy and to forgive. It is forgiveness, my dear friends, that awakens the power of Christian love, which by its very nature, draws us deeper into the mystery of the cross. Every act of forgiveness must be united to the suffering and death of Christ. Essentially, we could say, Christ's death on the cross becomes the barometer by which we measure our own forgiveness. And with the help of God's grace, we must be resolved to forgive. And by doing so, we would alleviate a great deal of tension in our lives and at once simplify them, that is, simplify our lives. Huh? That being said, we must remember that we can never expect forgiveness from others. In many cases, the heart of the offended needs time to heal before the person can forgive the offender. At times, I have found myself in circles where the process of forgiveness and reconciliation is stalled because the brashness that comes with expectation, maybe you have found yourself in a similar situation. If we are the individual who has wronged someone, we must pray that God work on the heart of the one who has been hurt and that God put the broken pieces back together. Do not let our expectations get in the way of God's work. He came into this world as the divine physician 
and we must allow him to perform divine surgery. Now, as we reflect on the relationship between mercy and justice, it is important to remember that justice is based in love, flowing to it and from it, and thus operates as an important agent for deepening our encounters with Christ's mercy. What do I mean? Now, as a father, when my children misbehave, I am well aware of the need to give them punishment that fits their crimes, so to speak, okay? And in doing so, I am awakening in them a sense of the gravity of their wrongdoing, right? Which at once, hopefully, (laughs) encourages critical reflection into their misbehavior and hopefully deepens the resolve to change. From this, hopefully, (laughs) they will mature to see what? Right from wrong. And be free to become the person that God is calling them to be. As their father, I understand that a lack of repercussions can allow a pattern of more mischief to develop, right? For all of you fathers out there and parents, you know what I'm talking about. So for this reason, consequences are necessary. But consequences that flow to and from love, which always wills the good of the other. Their just punishment, which is sometimes harder on me than it is on them, and again, all of you parents out there know what I'm talking about, comes from my love for them. So it is in this vein, and I'll wrap up with this thought, we could say, just as the objective requirements that make up justice assist in the development of my children, so do the objective requirements that make up justice assist us as children of God in our own encounters with Christ's mercy. Here I am thinking of the importance of penance. And for those listeners out there who are Catholic, the confessional. In and through our penance, we are made to reflect critically on our wrongdoings and out from that be more resolved to change. Drawing strength from the grace of the sacrament, we are to see our penance as something rooted in God's love and consequently an opportunity for deeper conversion. Brothers and sisters, in the end, justice is never ignored or abolished in light of mercy, as sin and scandal are never diminished nor thought to be of no consequence. Rather, what is just is taken up in the paschal mystery and returned to the subject you and I as a restoration of right relationship and grace through mercy. Amen. And with that, we close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just send you a special thanks and praise for the gift of your mercy, for the gift of your forgiveness, for the gift of your love, for the gift of yourself, that you pursued us, you sought us out. We are in gratitude for that. We turn to the intercession of Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.